Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I am pumped to tell you about a new show on Netflix that is set to take you to Valhalla. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. One of the best comedies on TV is back for another season. We'll talk some marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Plus... There's a new horror comedy movie out this weekend, and it stars the Foo Fighters? So Netflix has a new show this weekend that is a spin-off of one of my favorite shows of the last decade, Vikings. It was on the History Channel for six seasons from 2013 until 2020. It was a co-Canadian produced show by the company that we work for, Chorus Entertainment. And no, I'm not saying I liked it just to be a company guy. It really was an awesome show, which followed the adventures, conquests, and rise to power of Ragnar Lothbrok along with his wife, Lagertha, and the sons of Ragnar, Bjorn Ironside, Ivar the Boneless, to name a couple. Not all of his sons were birthed by Lagertha. It was excellent. Just excellent. Its final season, unfortunately, was somewhat meh, but overall, it was just fantastic. So now we've got this spinoff, which, by the way, works on its own. You don't have to have seen a single one of the 89 episodes in the original series. It debuts this weekend. I got to watch the season in advance. This is Vikings Valhalla. Did you just arrive from that storm? I did. And tell us your name. Leif. Leif Eriksson. Where are you from? Greenland. I'm Harald Sigurdsson. Why are you in Kattegat? I've come to find someone. Set over a thousand years ago in the early 11th century, Vikings Valhalla takes place 100 years after the first series. And like that first series, this one also follows some famous Vikings. Leif Erikson, his sister Freydis, Eric's daughter, and the Nordic prince Harald Sigurdsson. Leif and Freydis travel from Greenland to the city of Kattegat in Norway on their own personal mission, but they get swept up into the action. Vikings are preparing for an invasion. What do you intend to do? Fight. What do you see in this Greenlander? Maybe his courage. Courage is not rare here. This is. You're a long way from home, Freydis. I am on a mission. To learn my destiny. Train her. Let's go again. Now, the official description for the show reads, As tensions between the Vikings and the English royals reach a bloody breaking point, and as the Vikings themselves clash over their conflicting Christian and pagan beliefs, these three Vikings begin an epic journey that will take them across oceans and through battlefields, from Kattegat to England and beyond, as they fight for survival and glory.
All right, so if you did watch the original series Vikings, all of that probably sounds familiar, like as though it's basically the same thing we got in that first series. Well, that's because it is. It's pretty much the exact same show. The Vikings are still raiding. They are still warring with England. They are still warring with each other for power. The Vikings are still warring with each other over their religious beliefs, with more of them having turned to Christianity while others continue to maintain their devotion to their old gods like Odin, Thor, and Freya. The English are still scheming amongst themselves for power, and all the while they are all committing horrific and violent atrocities against each other. Like, fair warning, not a show for the squeamish. There's some pretty grisly stuff in this show. But overall, yeah, it's a rehash, and it works. I loved it. The show's creator, Jeb Stewart, said he wanted to maintain the DNA of the original series that was created by Michael Hurst. And did he ever? It still has that kind of same kind of soap opera component of everyone trying to take each other out to gain more power. It has clever and well-executed battle scenes, tremendous and passionate performances. About the only thing I, I would say that felt like it was missing to me is that it just lacked the sweeping cinematography of the first series. Like that first show had some truly gorgeous scenery sometimes it's not completely missing in this like it does the show doesn't look bad it just doesn't look as good and like it didn't it had the odd kind of big wide shot but not nearly as often and i'm not really sure why i don't know if it was a budget thing whatever but i did find myself missing it but uh so yeah overall it doesn't look quite as good as the original but story-wise It was great. Eight episodes. The ending leads to all sorts of wild possibilities for its second season, which wrapped production already this this past fall, and there is a third season on the way. And I should also point out that in that set of eight episodes, they cram in a lot of story. There is a lot going on here, and it never felt clumsy, clunky. They didn't drop the ball anywhere. It was really, really good. And again, if you've never seen Vikings, you won't be in the dark here. You could watch this show and enjoy it as much as I did and not feel lost. If you do wish to watch the original Vikings, the first four seasons are on Netflix with the remaining two available through global television. So you can watch on demand, use the global TV app, or subscribe to Stack TV. So I guess I'll give season one of Vikings Valhalla four, four and a half couch cushions out of five. Um, uh, well, on the exact opposite end of the television spectrum, it's uh, season four of one of the best comedies that is not grisly at all, which debuted this last this past week on Prime Video. It's season four of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Can we talk business? Of course. So, past is behind us. Shy who? One less what? Moving forward, we need a game plan. Agreed. Here she is, boys! You know what's great about me? Your humility? No, it's when I'm me. Here she is, world! No more opening act gigs. What? I will only do gigs where I can say what I want. That's what Lenny would do. (laughs) That's different, he's Lenny Bruce. Well then make me Lenny Bruce, make me a headliner. How am I supposed to do that if I can't even book you? I don't know, you're my manager, manage me. That's not how the business works. Then let's change the business. 
The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel stars Rachel Brosnahan as Midge Maisel and Alex Borstein as her manager, Susie. They've each won Emmys for the show, as has Tony Shalhoub, who plays Midge's father and steals most of the scenes he's in. It'll be interesting next awards season to see if Maisel can recapture its award status from Ted Lasso. The Emmys really like to reward the same show over and over again. But since both have won and don't have other contenders like Fleabag or Shits Creek to worry about this time, it'll be interesting to see them go head to head. Mrs. Maisel is a New Yorker in the early 1960s. 60s, who has was was mostly a housewife, but after a divorce and a catharsis, she's now determined to make it as a stand-up comedian, for which she's discovered she has a natural talent for, like she can improv full sets, which is nearly impossible for any comedian. She's used to a somewhat upscale lifestyle, whereas her manager Susie is the exact opposite. She's comically poor and unsophisticated. It's a good odd couple relationship. Uh, this season sees them trying to rebound from the blowback of season three, where Midge was rising quickly in the entertainment world, opening for a very popular singer on his American tour, only to blow it. Susie, meantime, has squandered their earnings through her gambling problem, so they're back to square one, essentially. And of course, there's the family issues as well. Midge's ex-husband, Joel, is still in the picture to some degree. I've never really been sold on that character, and it's still that way, I'm afraid. And Midge has her parents move in with her as they're suffering a little financial fallout as well. And again, Tony Shalhoub as the dad is just terrific. That guy is a special talent, and I know he won a number of Emmys in a row for the show Monk back in the day, but I'm a little worried we're taking him for granted. He used to steal the show when he was on Wings in the 1990s as well, so he's been pretty much batting a 1,000 for 30 straight years. And I forgot since last season that these episodes are usually close to an hour long each, which is pretty rare for a sitcom, but it works, and the style is very visual. Lots of camera movement and a rat-a-tat-tat, machine-gun-speed, quippy dialogue a lot of the time. The show is just cracks along all the time but it can be exhausting because you just gotta you gotta strap yourself in and stay with it and that you know brings us to the most notable thing about this fourth season is that prime video is only releasing two episodes a week as opposed to the whole schmear and one big dump like they did with the first three seasons and that's fine with me i got about five minutes into the first episode when i realized i couldn't remember a single thing from the previous season so i had to hit pause and wikipedia at season three to read up on the finale and get back in the swing of things and that's what binging does to a lot of people it's great in the moment but you don't retain as much and when you plow through it you, you know, you don't get to savor any of it. So with a week between episodes or two episodes here, uh, the, the show kind of sits in your brain and you might think about it a couple of times and wonder what's going to happen next. You just live with it more so you'll probably remember it a bit better. And two hours a week is still a lot to chew on. So a lot of streaming shows I seem to be either switching over to this model or just starting like that. Netflix is still pretty much all binging shows while HBO Max shows that we get through Crave tend to be week to week and now Prime Video is trying out a couple of different things so it'll be interesting to see where it all goes from here but uh, I can't wait to see the rest of season four of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and it rolls out over the next few weeks. In a moment we are going to tell you about an exciting new movie starring Tom Hanks and The King. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and a trailer came out this week that has me very excited for an upcoming summer movie. It's Boz Lerman's Elvis. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Get a haircut, buttercup! In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Way. 
Now, if that sounded like Tom Hanks doing a weird voice to you, that's because it was. Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis Presley's promoter, who had an enormous influence on Elvis's life and career, and not always for the better. If the movie, or in the movie rather, Elvis is played by Austin Butler, who was most memorable as Manson family member Tex in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. I can't move, I can't sing. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. That's all right for you. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. I'm going to be 40 soon. And nobody's going to remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? Director Boz Lerman is known for his larger-than-life visuals and storytelling in movies like The Great Gatsby, Australia, Moulin Rouge, and Romeo and Juliet. And the story of Elvis Presley seems like it'll be a great fit for his bombastic style, and the trailer certainly showcases it. Looks like the movie will run the gamut of his career as well, starting out as that skinny boy singing Heartbreak Hotel at Small Town dance hall concerts in the mid-50s to his final tragic days in the summer of 77. It looks great, and even if it turns out not to be great, at least it'll be filled with some great music. Boz Lerman's Elvis hits theaters June 24th. I just gotta be making the most of this thing while I can. This could all be over in a flash. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. Elvis has left the building. Oh, I'm excited about that. So excited, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, it looks so cool. It's just... All these great little, like it's a trailer, right? So it looks like there's all these montage shots of Elvis on stage through the varying points of his career, uh, set to his music, of course. And it was just, it's something. And he, a lot of that trailer has uh, Unchained Melody playing in the background. And I was like, well, he's Elvis isn't famous for that song. And I, I looked it up and it's on his final album. And there's some actually videos on YouTube of him playing it. Uh, they show him like concert footage of him singing it just like a few weeks before he dies. And it's really... Kind of, it's very powerful. He, he looks terrible, but his voice still just carries through the arena. Looks, sounded great. So I, I, I'm excited to see what's going to be the deal with this movie too. Because, uh, like I said, Boz Lerman, he can be hit and miss. He's got his very distinct style, so it won't be a quote unquote normal movie, but it, it'll be an interesting movie. Also, got to give you a heads up here on something that is. Coming to HBO, so I guess it'll be on Crave in Canada on March 1st, it's the Larry David story. Never thought of myself as being funny. Anything I was associated with that could be successful was a shock. 25 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, what do you do when you're talking and people are laughing? Yeah. You nice. do comedy. 
So I thought, why not me? That's a big thought. Maybe I didn't put that exactly the right way. <laughs> why not me? <laughs> so this is a two-part documentary that debuts on March 1st. They're going to air the episodes back to back. The first one is called American Jew Boy, and the second one is The Jewish Fountainhead. And uh, he goes on in the trailer to, to, to talk about how he loves doing Curb, because the Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm is the Larry David he wishes he could be, someone who's completely honest, and he's way too... Well, he's just not that person. So that was interesting. So uh, I would imagine, Braun, that you're going to be all over this. Oh yeah, that's right up my alley. I, I can't wait to see that. I'm surprised... He agreed to do that because he famously hates being interviewed or talking about himself. So I guess they must, and he doesn't need the money, but so who knows why he's doing it. But I'm glad he is. And yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Finally, maybe he just finally chilled out. Finally, just <laughs> stopped be. being angry. He's like, why do I, why do I keep fighting this? <laughs> uh, and maybe they offered him a big payday and he said, well, I like money. Uh, in a moment, we are going to tell you what Jeff thinks about another HBO show that wrapped up this week. And we'll tell you about a couple of movies out this weekend. One is a remake of a classic tale, and the other one just looks completely bonkers. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He is Brett. And one of my surely-to-be favorite shows of 2022 wrapped up this past week. It was Peacemaker. <laughs> you suck at PowerPoint, Daddy. I didn't mean to put your father in prison. Then why'd you put him there? Because I couldn't think of anybody else. What about Ariana Grande or Drake? What? Listen, man, I'm giving you a list of people you could have done. Danny DeVito, Will Ferrell. Finding the source of the butterflies' food may be key to defeating them. The place is crawling with butterflies. Mama said you needed my help. The situation is delicate. It requires something other than your usual sledgehammer. Whoa. Yo, what the hell is that? There have been a couple of pleasant surprises on TV early this year, and chief among them for me is Peacemaker, which was an HBO Max show in the U.S. and on Crave here in Canada. It stars John Cena as the DC Comics superhero, hero question mark, reprising his role from last summer's The Suicide Squad, which was the second best superhero movie of last year after Spider-Man. The fun of Peacemaker is that even though it's very much a part of the DC Extended Universe, along with the Justice League characters like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, etc., it's tonally quite a bit different. It is action comedy, heavy on the comedy, and it's also hard R-rated for language and violence and nudity and all the things we love in our R-rated shows and movies. But it also carried some emotional weight as the season went along, which came as a bit of a surprise. Our first impression of the character character peacemaker from the Suicide Squad, frankly, was not complimentary. He was a jackass. And when I heard about the show, I thought, why, why him? Why him indeed? I asked a friend of mine about Peacemaker's place in the DC Comics world, and my friend said he was a, a nothing character, very minor. Most people had never even heard of him, which of course gave the TV show creator James Gunn license to do whatever he wanted with him. When you're dealing with someone like Batman, everyone has to treat it so preciously because he's one of the biggest names in the genre. Peacemaker, not so much. You can have him do any manner of horrible thing, which is exactly what the show did. Uh, he had to team up with a bunch of Amanda Waller's crew to fight an alien invasion, and even his new team didn't want him around, having heard what he did in the Suicide Squad movie. And then after meeting him and finding him to be less of a team player than you would hope, 
Besides the shock value of some of the humor, uh, the character Peacemaker was also made out to be kind of a big whiny crybaby who would throw a tantrum when he didn't get his way. But again, to its credit, the show did not leave him at that. No, over the season, it dug into him a lot deeper and gave him some dramatic power in a way I just wasn't expecting. There was depth to Peacemaker and to many of the other characters, which again, a little surprising given how raunchy and silly much of it was. It was all much more well-rounded than you would have thought at the beginning of the show. And it was highly entertaining from beginning to end, and there were some real stakes involved. The other thing the show had going for it was that the goofiness actually helped the story of the alien invasion that Peacemaker and company were trying to stave off because some of that alien stuff was truly bizarre and out there. But since we were already on board with the general craziness of the characters, the alien stuff uh, didn't really stick out like a sore thumb. The action was great. There were a bunch of really good individual and team fights. And the hard rock soundtrack, much of it culled from the hairband days of the 80s, was a joy to listen to and fit in nicely with the character as well. Uh, overall, just a joy to watch Peacemaker these last couple of months. It's already been renewed for a second season, so we will get more of it on Crave at some point, which is awesome. Overall, it continues to add to the notion that the DCEU is doing a better job with its properties of late. Again, last year's The Suicide Squad was just terrific, and we also, of course, got Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was, you know, a special circumstances kind of movie, sure, but also such a pleasant surprise at how well it turned out. They've really been on a roll, I think, since Aquaman, aside from Wonder Woman 84, which wasn't terrible, but just didn't live up to the first Wonder Woman. So I, I'm more excited now about the DCEU than ever before, and we'll see what they come up with next, Brett. I have a couple of buddies who have been hounding me for weeks to watch Peacemaker. Every time I see them or talk to them, did you start watching Peacemaker yet? <laughs> no. Why not? Because I was watching Vikings this week, or last week I might, might have been yeah. watching, I don't even remember what I was watching Reacher. last week. Yeah, Reacher, yeah. Uh, so it's on the list, okay? And after this scintillating, sparkling review that Jeff has just provided, mm -hmm. i got to get off my butt and check that out. I want to talk to you quickly about some of the movies out this weekend in theaters. One of them is called Studio 666, and it's a comedy horror about a band that moves into an Encino mansion to record a new album. And that band is the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters! You gotta get me a record. It's our 10th album. We gotta break the mold on this one. Let's out. Let's go somewhere we've never been. This place is amazing. Do you guys get this overwhelming sense of death? Whoa. Doesn't really seem like the right fit. Whoa, that's rad. That was weird. The sound of this house is the sound of album 10. And by the way, it's the real Foo Fighters. It's not guys playing the Foo Fighters. It's the Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl came up with the story for this movie. So as you heard, they got to record their 10th album, but something goes bump in the night in the house. Got a couple of ideas I've been working on. I'm going to lay them on you. Dude, wait, 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 wait. It's called Everlong, and you wrote it about 20 years ago. How are you feeling? Everything okay? Ever since we moved into this house, my mind is flooded. We all have writer's block. This is not just a creepy rock and roll house. It allows spiritual entities to cross into our world. Oh my God! Dude has got one flew over the cuckoo's nest crazy. Oh, 
this place, man. Let's finish the track. Can't we just wait, dude? Okay, so yeah, it looks like there is demons and ghosts and potential aliens and Dave Grohl, I guess, gets possessed or becomes a monster. I don't know. It looks fun. I, I just, when I saw the poster for it this week, I thought, is, is this a joke? Like, uh, am I being punked here? What do you think of this, Jeff? <laughs> uh, well, if it's a horror thing, I'm probably not really into it, but I love when uh, singers and bands and musicians start acting. I mean, well, we talked about Elvis. Elvis did movies. The Beatles did movies. The Monkees were a TV show and a band. Um, who else? Oh, Chris Isaac and his band Silvertone had the Chris Isaac show for five seasons or something like that. So uh, this kind of thing happens every now and then, and it's often a lot of fun, If obviously, if you're a fan of whoever it is. And I think, I don't, the Foo Fighters, I think even, I'm not a huge Foo Fighters band, but I like the Foo Fighters. I don't turn them off when they come on the radio. I don't think there's a lot of people that hate the Foo Fighters. So sounds like a good idea. 62% last time I checked on Rotten Tomatoes. So that looks like it could be fun. And for something completely different, award-winning director Joe Wright um, has decided to do a movie with music, romance, and beauty in Cyrano, reimagining the classic tale of a heartbreaking love triangle. He's here. Cyrano? Cyrano. Pleasure to meet you, Cyrano de Bergerac. You're a freak. Freak. My dearest friend, I'd be very angry with you if you died. My sole purpose on this earth is to love Roxanne. Does she know? The world will never accept someone like me and a tall, beautiful woman. We have no money. A clever marriage is your only option. I won't be rescued. I'm not in distress. Love, does that mean nothing to you? Children need love. Adults need money. So, Cyrano de Bergerac is played by Peter Dinklage in this, and he is... Uh, incredible with his wordplay, whether it's a verbal joust or he's a brilliant swords person in a duel. Um, and he is in love with Roxanne and she is in love with someone else. So he decides to help out the person who is who she's in love with so that he can tell her how he feels without actually directly telling her. So here's some of that. I have a confession to make. I am madly in love. Perhaps he feels the same. But I've never actually spoken to him. Of your love? I think. <laughs> he is Christian. Christian Nubelet. He's a new recruit in your regiment. Of course he is. A woman like Roxanne wants wit, romance, poetry. I don't know how to speak romantically. I am a poet. My words upon your lips. I will make you romantic. Will you make me handsome? She loves me! So, this uh, movie is getting very good reviews, by the way. It looks great. It's uh, also somewhat of a musical, and they have some really lovely sounding songs in this, by the way. So, this is a movie that I hadn't even heard of until this week, and uh, I think I kind of really want to see it, because it just it, it, it's the same story that many of us already know whether you've watched it. I, re I remember Gérard Depardieu playing Cyrano in one movie. Of course, Steve Martin had uh, Roxanne back in the 80s. Did you ever see that? I did not. Uh, I think uh, Three's Company probably did an episode 
similar to this. <laughs> it Problem. sounds like a Three's Company plot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it looks really, really good. So check that out. If you're not interested in a horror comedy starring one of the biggest rock bands on planet Earth, in a moment, speaking of big rock stars, well, he's a rock star of film. His name is James Bond, and Jeff's quest to get through them all continues. We'll see where he's at. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I told you a few weeks ago that I'm making my way through all of the James Bond movies. I started sometime last fall, and I'm near the end of the Pierce Brosnan era, so we're almost there. And I just wanted to take a couple of minutes to talk about the movie, The World Is Not Enough. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And the second? Always have an escape plan. For the world's greatest secret agent. You used to choose hundreds of these, right? When the stakes are high. Yeah, but they're usually standing still. Life's full of small challenges. And the danger hits too close to home. He has M. By noon tomorrow, you'll feel nothing at all. I thought it was your job to protect me. It's not just professional. Someone's tampered with the bomb. It's personal. I have to get it back or somebody's going to have my butt. First things first. This one always seems special to me. Uh, there are a couple of Bond movies that invoke memories, and this is one of them. The World Is Not Enough came out in 1999, and I remember seeing it in downtown Toronto the week it came out. I was there on a little vacation. I went to a matinee by myself while I was waiting for a friend to finish work in the neighborhood. And it was the first Bond movie that I saw in movie theaters, and I've seen everyone since except for Spectre for some reason. I remember enjoying it, and for the past 23 years, I've always thought of it as a fun movie. So I had this nice memory lodged in my brain as I sat down to watch it again this week and as I started the movie I realized that I honestly could not remember one thing about the movie and I was right it was fun but throughout the whole movie there were literally only two moments that I had recalled having seen before there's a race through an oil pipeline and then there's the last line of the film I just thought it was interesting to have this definitive opinion about a movie but also absolutely nothing to back it up with like, I think the movie is fun, but I don't remember anything about it. And it was fun. The movie before The World Is Not Enough was the movie uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, which is a more action-y kind of thing more than it is a spy movie. It's a little more serious. So they did a couple of goofier things in World, which is always fun in the context of a James Bond film. Some of the action is just ludicrous, which is also fun in a Bond movie. And they tend to go back and forth a bit, I've noticed as I've been watching. They go back and forth between... A uh, movie with a lot of plausible action to a movie with just ridiculous action. And the best movies have a little bit of both, which this does. The big knock against it has always been Denise Richards as Dr. Christmas Jones, a nuclear physicist. And I think, sadly, the knock was that everyone thought, oh, she's too pretty to be smart, which, of course, is asinine. The problem is really the acting, but I don't even think that's entirely her fault. It's uh, just a nothing role that's poorly written. She doesn't have anything important to do. Twice she is called upon to defuse a bomb and each time it becomes unnecessary for her to do it before she gets around to doing it. So she's really just pointless. And I also think there's a little bit of what I'm going to call the Andy McDowell syndrome. Andy McDowell got really dragged when uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral came out, and that's one of my favorite movies, and I used to drag her about it as well. But every time I watch it, I like her more and more in it, and I've realized the only real problem is that she is the lone American voice in a movie full of British accents, so the American accent stands out like a sore thumb. And of course, you know, everything sounds smarter in British. So when you 
or the one person not speaking with that accent, you sound kind of dumber. So I think that's the same deal with Denise Richards in this James Bond movie because they're international movies and she's North American. So her voice sounds like the voice we hear around town all the time. It sticks out because it doesn't match with the British voices. So I would say cut her some slack in the world is not enough. I mentioned the last line of the movie. It's the dirtiest joke in any James Bond film. We can't even talk about it. But as it was uh, coming up to the end, I thought, oh, maybe I remember that wrong. Maybe he surely isn't going to say what I think he's going to say. And then he says it, and then, boom, slam to credits. Good times. So there it is. The world is not enough. Uh, my hot take is I think it's the best Brosnan Bond movie, and I think it's also a top 10 for the series. And, of course, you can find all, the whole series out on Crave, and I think I've got six more to get through, Brett, and then I'll have done the whole uh, 24 movie run. Six more to go? Yeah. 25 movies now? 25, yeah. Oh, it, it, and then one that's, there's another one in there that isn't canon. It was uh, Never Say Never Again. It was the seventh Sean Connery movie from the 80s when he came back. But that's not part of the actual James Bond series, although it is a James Bond story. That's right. That's right. Uh, we got about 90 seconds left here. I'll just quickly tell you about this. We were talking last week about the Rings of Power, the new Amazon show, and how some of the fans are losing their minds because they dared to create some diverse characters. And I'm not mocking them for that. Uh, I'm, I, the anger I find a little bit amusing. But since I had Middle Earth on the brain this week, I decided to watch... In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. L-O-T-R-L-O-L. Yes, I watched The Fellowship of the Ring again. I just, I I couldn't stop thinking about Middle Earth, and I thought, I'm just going to watch this. And somehow, that movie gets better every time I watch it. And especially, I mentioned this last year, it was right around this time last year where I picked up the set in 4k it is just stunning but uh when i said this to you that it gets better every time i watch it you kind of agreed right jeff oh yeah it's uh, my favorite of the trilogy and it's such a deep rich movie that it does get better they all get better but fellowship there's something about fellowship that's just better than the rebels i don't know what it is i think this weekend i might just have to watch the two towers and the return of the king and that's all the time we've got I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.